All right, folks, welcome to this very special edition of the Jackson Lucas Impact Real Estate Podcast. This is the first episode of our real estate secondary special for September. We call it the, the three S's, secondary special for September. And today we spoke with, or I spoke with Jeffrey Cho. Jeffrey is the managing director at, at Portfolio Advisors running their secondaries platform. Um, not sure how many people know about secondaries, but I've been working with, with secondaries firms, real estate secondaries firms for many years now. And Jeff gives us a great tutorial about uh, what, sec who, what secondaries are and how they work within the real estate ecosystem. Uh, and they're extremely hot right now. Uh, just like Hansel, Hansel, Hansel from uh, Zoolander. But yeah, no, it's a, it's a very hot space right now. So uh, he's a great guy and we're going to have a real estate secondaries webinar at the end of September. So stay tuned for that as well. So as always, please share the episode, like the episode and rate and review the episode. And please feel free to reach out to me with any questions. With that, enjoy the show. Jeff, thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate you joining us today. How, how are you? Uh, thanks for having me, Chris. Um, I'm doing excellent. As we were just talking before we started recording. I guess we are on a Friday afternoon, at least on my side of the screen. And uh, as I mentioned, taking th taking some time off next week uh, for the last couple of days of the summer. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm in California today. You're in Connecticut, right? That's, where you're That's right. We're in Darien, Connecticut. Darian, I, uh, it's a beautiful town. Do you live in Connecticut? Yes, I do. I do. Uh, I, I, I believe your other co-host who is not with us today, uh, well, your office is out of Stanford and I live in Stanford. So, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Lisa is unable to make it today. I didn't realize she had a, a day off, but, um, uh, so yeah. So you're a managing director at portfolio advisors. And this is part of our secondary showcase for the month of September. Um, I've been working with a lot of secondary firms throughout my career, and that's that's your role there. Can you can you just describe to everyone um, what Portfolio Advisors is uh, and sort of your role there? Yeah, happy to. So first of all, thank you for bringing some high, uh, sort of sort of a spotlight on the secondaries market and yeah. as you know it is not the largest of markets and we certainly certainly and it's a developing market as well so you know again anytime you could get exposure to a market and just help people understand what it is that we do on a day-to-day -day basis is always certainly helpful and as you can imagine in this type of a market environment um, it's certainly uh, an interesting place to be as a liquidity provider for a right. market that is lacks liquidity Right. Uh, so, I mean, happy to take that a couple of ways. I mean, in terms of thinking about the real estate secondaries market, uh, I could give you a little bit of a background on that as we sort of dig in a little bit more, maybe just kind of talking sort of a high level and then happy to talk about portfolio advisors and all the exciting. Please. Yeah, please. Please do. So, I mean, you know, as you can imagine, the secondary is a terminology that is sort of used in many different ways, right? So uh, I think in private real estate space, um, you know, when we're discussing a secondary strategy, uh, the traditional secondary would be considered buying a limited partnership interest in direct, mm -hmm. directly from an investor who wants to get out of that commitment uh, to a close-end fund. 
but I'm sure uh, there are other many other folks that I think uh, they'll be uh, part of this uh, secondary series that also work on the GP led side of the secondary business, right? Where the fund sponsors actually initiate the recap of the remaining assets uh, of the funds to generate liquidity for their fund investors. So well, while still maintaining that control, right? And that GP led market, it has been really a huge growth area for the private equity and real estate for the last several years, right? But besides those two types, I mean, there are groups that acquire limited partnership interest from direct assets as well. Uh, mm -hmm. And also, um, you know, some folks lend on um, those assets to the fund sponsors or even to the LPs using the um, LP interest as uh, fund collateral, right? And that side of the business is much larger on the private equity side than the real estate side. But as I mentioned, you know, it's really a strategy that's been born out of private equity. So when you look at the overall transaction volume of the space, it's generally somewhere between 120 to $140 billion. And real estate really makes up kind of five to 10% of that annual volume. And the way, and then the way I kind of started off the conversation in terms of why we're so excited uh, about the sort of the future growth of the real estate secondary market in and itself. So when you start thinking about the size of the PE market, it's about a $10 trillion market, kind of including the dry powder. And we're talking about deal volumes and upwards of $100 billion. Now, real estate private equity style real estate market is about mm -hmm. a trillion, trillion and a half, and we're generating about $10 billion, right? But with this uh, adoption of the GP-led secondary strategy, now that opens up the secondary market to the sort of the overall commercial real estate market, right? That's about a $20 trillion industry, right? So you're talking about double the size of the private equity. And we certainly see, you know, that aspect sort of really as a next phase of the growth area for the secondaries market from a real estate perspective, right? So um, I think there's a lot of growth there, and I still think it's still in its infancies in terms of where the market is. Wow. Okay. Um, and have you like spent your entire career in the secondaries world? Like, can you just kind of take us through, like, how did you end up in the secondaries world? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's. I've been in the real estate secondaries uh, market for eleven years now. Uh, it's I sort of took a bit of a roundabout way to get here. Uh, I've been in private real estate industry for twenty years now, and really without not knowing and planning for it, I think I spent the first decade of my career really building a skill set that's really perfectly suited for the secondaries industry. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, sort of the typical investment experiences that I've, you know, was, uh, I was able to uh, really put under my belt at Carlisle Group, but I also spent a year and a half out of college at PwC in their real estate valuations group. Mm -hmm. Now, that's the group that actually spun out is now Altus, the 800-pound oh, gorilla yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. in the real yeah. estate valuation space that, you know, manages right. the valuation process for the all the Odyssey funds and that group that everyone is kind of blaming right now for the lack of markdowns, right? Which I right. think is completely off base. Um, but, you know, and I also spent five years in the real estate credit side of the uh, credit side with a multi-strategy hedge fund. So they're sort of in addition to the typical credit work, I oversaw the mark-to-market processes of the funds. Um, so really having the understanding of, um, you know, sort of being on the other side of the table in terms of thinking about secondaries and the valuations and the valuations that we buy off of. So, you know, for me, that, that set of experiences sort of let accidentally led to having a conversation with portfolio advisors, uh, 11 years ago. And I've been in the industry, um, ever since then. Did you 
Like you mentioned the skill set. Like what skill set makes a good secondaries investor? Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's so I think it's start, I mean, it is investing strategy. It is a real estate investing strategy, right? So investment acumen, obviously the first one, but I think some of the differences between, I think looking at direct real estate versus a secondary skill set would be somebody who really understands the valuation methodology, right? So, and more specifically the FASB AAC 820, which is the gap valuation methodology, right? And that's a skill set that not everyone understands when you are just typically looking at an acquisition as an example, but trying to understand way and the, uh, you know, ways that the fund managers will mark those books on a quarterly basis. And for us, it's really thinking about it from a reverse engineering perspective, because you knew how it, it, it's getting done. You're able to sort of pull apart all the different pieces or make assumptions on all the pieces to get a better understanding of how is the GP marking the books at a certain point in time. And then I think the third aspect um, of a skill set that I think is absolutely uh, necessary and somewhat different from a typical acquisition experience would be that it's especially on the LP secondary side, but this concept of like high volume valuation work in a very short period of time. So especially when you're thinking about an LP secondary perspective and in a process, you could be looking at 500 fund in, uh, underlying interest within a real estate portfolio, right? So what assumptions do you make? How do you get through those assumptions and how do you actually get to a value? And you also have to know what, which pieces of the assumptions you're missing. Either if it, in, a, in a perfect scenario, you will have all the information that you're looking for, but from an LP secondary perspective, there are times where you don't have those information. So knowing exactly what pieces are missing in a very short period of time where you're going through a high volume of sort of valuation work, I think it's also a skill set um, that is somewhat different and unique to uh, a secondary secondary strategy. And then why, like, why would somebody invest in a secondary strategy like a, a one of your investors, like as opposed to like a direct strategy just to yeah. diversify? I think there are multiple, there are certainly, uh, I think, multiple reasons why uh, people are seeking secondary strategy, especially in a market like this. We just talked about the lack of liquidity in the marketplace. So it is a way to capture the liquidity needs. Like if you think about from LP side perspective, not talking about the GP for now, but from an LP perspective, a way to um, access that market opportunity from other institutional investors that might have denominator effect issues, right? So it's, it's, it's certainly a market opportunity set right now. Diversification is a huge uh, factor when you're thinking about the real estate secondaries market. And also third, it is, you get this reverse J curve effect, right? So when you buy at a significant discount, like you could do in today's market, you do get that pop. So when you're either building a portfolio, right, as a, as a new institution or a new family office, whatnot, to get that head start while you are making primary commitments while you're sort of in this deep J curve for a several, it actually helps you blend your return profile over, over the near term. And are there any specific like asset classes or, or geographies or anything that you focus on or is it just kind of across the board? So I would say from, as a portfolio, from portfolio advisor's perspective, we are a thematic investor. So we have our macro themes that we try to take advantage of uh, within the marketplace. But in a LP secondary transaction and in, in, in the market, it is an opportunistic strategy, right? You sometimes 
you are required to buy the entire portfolio of a, a real estate portfolio of a seller because that is their mandate. Now, from that perspective, we could choose not to buy it or mm -hmm. we could price certain assets that fit within our sort of themes at a, what do we consider essentially underwrite upside versus the assets that do not fit within our themes, we will heavily discount and view that as option value. So as you can imagine in today's environment, anytime we underwrite an office exposure in a closed-ended value-added fund that has leverage, that gets written to a zero, right? So we are not paying for that office exposure. So we just view it as option value. And if market recovers or that asset has more value than we've underwrote, that's great. That's all option value for that's just upside for us, right? We would so that's how we think about it because as I mentioned, I mean LP secondary deal flow is opportunistic. Gotcha. And then yeah, within portfolio advisors, like where how large of a presence do you guys have? Is yeah. It so portfolio advisors, uh so we're we're sort of going through uh, some some transition right now, or just just went through a transition. So portfolio advisors on a standalone basis is a forty one billion dollar asset manager um, uh, across private equity, real estate, and credit. Now, uh, as of uh, June thirtieth, we just announced a merger uh, with the group called FS, and now that mm -hmm. makes us a seventy five billion dollar asset manager. Uh, but um, as PA on a standalone basis. Um, as I mentioned, is the $41 billion asset manager. Gotcha. And then how big is the secondaries team there? Yeah. So on the real estate team, we have a group of seven um, that we, that work on the real estate activities here at Portfolio Advisors. Uh, and so across the, the team of seven, we do have sort of different you know, we do also co-investments as well alongside of fund investors. So we have folks who sort of go back and forth between co-investments and GP led because the skill set is very similar. Right. And then we have the folks who are working on the LP secondary side as well. Gotcha. And you mentioned the merger. Like what, what does that add to portfolio advisors? Like what is the. What yeah. Is the so, so, um, you know, it's, it's so from a day to day perspective, uh, things have not really changed in terms of what we do and how we're executing on the real estate secondary strategy. But just as a background, um, FS Investment is a pioneer in providing access to private alts to individual investors, right? So it's a topic that's certainly been popular in re recent years amongst the larger asset managers. Uh, but FS has been in this space for almost two decades, right? And they were one of the, uh, they were actually, uh, they formed one of the earliest BDCs in the sort of the modern era. So for us, the idea of merging an institutional fund manager with a, a with the asset manager that is focused on the the uh, the wealth management channel made a lot of sense because there isn't a ton of overlap in terms of the investment strategy, but in terms of us getting access to their wealth management channel distribution and them getting access to our institutional products and the client base seemed to make seemed to make ton of sense for us. So that merger occurred on June 30th. Gotcha. And let's talk about you a little bit there, uh, yeah. Jeff. Where'd you grow up? Um, where did your interest in real estate come from? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I, I grew up in Southern California. 
Uh, and then the interest nice. in real estate. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know what I'm doing here in Connecticut. I asked that my, myself that in the winters of Connecticut every single year. Uh, but I've been here <laughs> about five years. You know, I've been in the Northeast, uh, I guess, probably about 11 years now. Uh, but I keep moving north, right? I'm from Southern California. I went to Carlisle in D.C. And then I went to New York City to go work at the hedge fund. And then now uh, I'm in Connecticut. So I just, <laughs> I, it's, I, you know, I, I'm doing it to myself. I know. Yeah. Um, but, uh, unconscious, uh, you don't like yourself or something. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and then just in terms of the interest, uh, for real estate comes from, I would say it comes from young age and this is sort of my background. You know, I am a first generation immigrant, right. Having moved to this country when I was nine and when we first moved to this country, um, we certainly lived in an apartment for a lot, first several years. But I vividly remember the feeling of belongingness to this country when our family first bought our home at age of 12. Oh, nice. Right. And it really felt like you are putting your roots down and that this is your country and you belong here. Right. So my passion for real estate and interest in real estate comes from a much broader perspective, just view, than just viewing real estate as an investment and asset class. Um, but um, it is something that has really stuck with me um, from a very young age. And, you know, as, as older I get and more involved in real estate, uh, I, I, I become, um, I certainly view real estate as not an investment and not just a consumption, but it's somewhere sort of, it's, it's both combined and more, right? right. So just, you know, not just from my like personal emotional perspective, but, you know, just the whole idea that it's a tangible asset and maybe it's omnipresent. Maybe that's a strong word, but, you know, probably, I don't know how long we've probably spent 80, 90 percent of our lives in some type of real estate. Right. right. So home office, school, you name it. Right. So and really, you know, and then so I just go back to the aspect of the real estate that really continue, continues to really captivate me the most is this. This is sort of think about, you know, my personal experience and is really the this transformative shift in a mindset and mentality that mm -hmm. ownership of property can bring. So even to a you know 12 year old. And now as you, when you're an investor, do you bring that mindset to your investments? Yeah, no. So, I mean, absolutely. And that's where I think you kind of start to think about what the tenants of like, what, what are the tenants looking for? Right. And then as an investor, they're essentially you are driving the rental income majority of the time. So you do think about multifamily assets, single family homes. And so why is there such a capital flight to, you know, capital flow to the single family? Right. And so is that where you need to be? Because there is more of a concept of your own home. So absolutely, it does cover. Uh, and it's really, um, I think, an aspect that. Um, we try to think about not just from a numbers perspective, but also trying to understand how would the tenants feel when they are in these assets and these properties. Yeah, that's great. And now that you've been doing this a while, you're kind of, you know, you're an old guy like me, older guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, I mean, when you look back on your career and there's some young folks who are, you know, that's the target audience for this podcast we're looking to navigate their career. Like what, what would you tell them as, as what should they be doing? What advice would you give them? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I think, um, I really think understanding the long-term secular trends in the economy, right. Or 
if you can't understand it yet, take advice from mentors and people around you who actually understand the big macro picture. Right. So I have so it's summer and we have interns around and I have these conversations that I feel like every summer with interns. Um, and so for me, I think about sort of the big misses in my career. Right. And it's it's not a it's not a you know, I'm once again like, hey, you know, I'm I'm fine. But I kind of sometimes think about if I had a mentor who could connect those dots for me. Okay. So at USC, uh, coming out of uh, I was a real estate finance emphasis. In addition to being a real estate finance emphasis, um, I was also a distribution management emphasis. Now, not because I had any interest in supply chain or logistics, but it's really because my favorite professor uh, taught those classes, right? Now, I graduated in 2004, and 2004 might have been probably a little too early, but somewhere down the line, right, if I had a mentor who could have sort of connected those dots for me and urged me to maybe go into industrial, right because of changing and yeah. consumer buying behavior right like i could have rode that secular way for two decades right and so i think about that and so for me um you know um i i pay a, a lot of attention to macro uh, and i think about that for my kids right and just kind of understanding hey like if you could ride a secular trend it makes your life a lot easier right so i always kind of think about and talk about you know, a uh, somebody who's not to name names, but somebody who's focused on suburban office versus somebody who's been, you know, focused on industrial, right? right. I do feel like the guy who's been who's focused on suburban office might be ten times smarter than the guys who focused on industrial last twenty years, right? But the guy who's focused on the suburban office strategy has it tough, right? Even if you get every single thing right, it's probably yeah. you know hard to make money. The, the industrial strategy, even though you make probably a ton of mistakes, you probably get bailed out, right? Because of the secular trends that you're just riding. So even if you like real estate, like you could have certainly sort of positioned yourself based upon sort of what, as we sort of talked about, right? Investment themes and these secular trends. And so, you know, when you're talking, when we're thinking about advice for, you know, someone who's looking to get, I'm assuming into real estate in today's mm -hmm. world, right? maybe pick data center rather than office, right? Maybe it's time to kind of jump back into maybe senior housing with modern medicine and maybe life expectancy increasing, right? You might have 30 to 40 years of remaining in this silver tsunami that everyone talked about last decade that, you know, sort of overbuilt and sort of got you know, hit by COVID, right? So AI and demographics seems like a pretty good secular trend to ride. But I think for me, the advice would be to understand the sort of big macro picture and sort of position yourself to ride that sort of secular trend and that wave. Well, it sounds like you're, I mean, do you use a lot of data? I mean, I, I, we, we're working at more like real estate data scientists. Like the, these are things that are becoming more part of, you know, it used to be got a gut feeling, you know what I mean? Or whatever, you know, like, are you see, do you use a lot of data? You're seeing that more integrated into real estate investment decisions? Yes, absolutely. And I, and so I, yes and no, I, I hear a lot of people talking about it. Right, not really sure how much of that is, how much of that is truly competitive advantage over others when your data set might be maybe, I don't know, 75, 80, 90% same, right? When you have the same access to data. So like who really gets unique data that could differentiate yourself right. 
within the private markets that really move. If you're in public markets, I think it's a whole different story, right? But when you're looking at five, seven, 10 year holds, like jumping into a market a year or two early might not really get you that edge. So there's something that we think about a lot and obviously it is like super important yet um, you also have to be somewhat pragmatic about you know who's really using data correctly and what data how much advantage do you have within with that data right if you're all using the same data right that's a good that's a good point um and then, yeah, what do you see as maybe I don't have data on this, but what are you seeing as the as the outlook for for secondaries over the next couple of years? So, if you look back at the sort of the period that we're, I mean, if you look at where we are now and sort of think about the last time, just to be very transparent, last time it was a great opportunity buying opportunity for the real estate secondary market. It will be after the GFC. Right, so we do feel as though um, this is a great buying opportunity for the next couple of years. I've sort of been out there in, you know, industry rag saying this year is going to be the LP secondary and it's going to just crush it. Hasn't happened yet, to be all honest. Right, I think GP led has actually has been more attractive in the first half of the year. And I think there are a couple of things that I probably missed when I said that, meaning. Um, for the first quarter of 2023, we're still valuing off of third quarter 2022 marks, right? So when the fund sponsors haven't really taken their marks, the bid ask spread between where you would want to buy versus um, um, where the sellers were willing to sell was just the bid ask spread was just way too um, way too uh, big. So not ton of transactions uh, were able to get done first half. We're certainly seeing that change. So I said, you know, I, I made some comments about 2023 being a big LP year, and we could end up being, it, it still could be. It's we not still over have yet. A, yeah, it's not over yet, right? So it certainly could be. Uh, but some of the opportunities we we have seen so far have been what we consider sort of the, um, the very, um, on the GP-led side and the fund sponsors, wanting to provide liquidity to their investors um, mm -hmm. who've um, and these are funds that have done very very well for real estate vintage right they hit their target they out outperformed their targets and they're looking they're into it for you know nine ten eleven years and saying it's time to wrap up and obviously in, in any typical gp-led transaction the sponsor does provide a liquidity option, but you could also stay in if you wanted to as an original investor. But we're seeing that those, those investors are looking to take liquidity because obviously, as you can imagine, liquidity has really dried up in, major in all your, really your entire portfolio, right. right? So anytime that you could get liquidity, I think the investors are welcoming it and seeking to take liquidity and chips off the table because they they were probably managing their portfolio based upon a certain distribution projections and they have capital calls that that's probably coming or they have dry powder that's going to get called so they're looking to manage that with the dry powder right so or the distribution so um i would say so First half, GP-led market has certainly been, been more active and more interesting place to be. Um, like, as I mentioned, second half summer, it's already picking up. Um, there's been a lot of LP transactions in the marketplace coming in. And we've, you know, as we are looking at the market, there's a lot of, that's coming in the pipeline. So I'm still hopeful 
2023 is not over yet uh, for my uh, prediction. Uh, but I think next several years is going to be a great time to be a liquidity provider in the marketplace. If someone were wanted to learn more about secondaries, real estate secondaries, or the, I mean, where do you guys hang out? Do you guys have like a yeah. secret club? Do you have? Do you read secret magazines? Like, what do you? Yeah, you know, it's 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 a very opaque, it's a very niche market, right? And it's um, because of the type of transaction and the buy the generally the sellers that that we deal with. There's a lot of confidentialities, and so it, these are not transactions that make ton of you know headlines and and um, not not many people talk about it. So this podcast might be a great place to start as you're having right. the summer series, right, Chris? Uh, right. And but um, you know there um, there there is a a general secondary um, publication called Secondaries Investor. You know, some of the PRE has a once a year, um, you know, a secondaries, real estate secondaries um, uh, publication, things of that nature. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, you just have to reach out to us directly, you know, and we're always happy to talk about the secondaries market. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I like to learn more, too. Um, all right. Well, you did a great job on this portion of the of the podcast. But are you ready for the hot seat <laughs> let's do it chris the hot seat is sponsored by kk reset kk reset is an hr management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture structure and path they do this through services which include comprehensive consultation to identify gaps and opportunities for corporate training programs, HR services, and career mapping services. They've collaborated with nonprofits, startups, and academic organizations to protect them from liabilities, reduce turnover, and preserve their brands. They have also collaborated with a number of my clients on the real estate front who are not large enough to have their own in-house HR program. So. They outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple days a week and provides you know everything you need from an HR perspective for your, for your firm. So it's a great uh, resource for those shops who just maybe it doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com. K-K-R-E-S-E-T.com. Are you? All right, good. You sound prepared. Absolutely. All right, good. Well, uh, am I prepared? Yes, I am. All right. Question number one, do you have a podcast and or book recommendation? Yes, uh, I'll stick to the, um, you know, I'll stick to the book recommendation. And this is uh, probably a mouthful and uh, kind of a boring name, but I think it is a very <laughs> relevant book. So it's the Monetary and Physical History of the United States, 1961 through 2021 by Ellen Winder. Wow. Right. So um it, it, you think that it puts you, it might put you to sleep by the title of it. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, this, uh, you know, Alan Blinder is a former vice chair of the Fed in the 90s. And he um, really sort of goes through um, the history of and the reaction functions and how the, you know, the government and the central banks and all the players in that era reacted to inflation. And, you know, so it, it's, I think it's, it's a very relevant book for, um, you know, today and sort of the, the, you know, inflation and everything that we're dealing with. Awesome. Um, question number two, what is your most memorable deal? 
Um, gosh, um, for me, it's a, a, a small uh, deal that even maybe my team might not remember. But it was a small office, you know, fun LP. It's, L, it's an office fun LP secondary transaction, right? And but for me, I sort of go back to that ownership idea, where it was my first deal, right? The one yeah. that I got to own from start to finish. And so, you know, it was a long time ago uh, when office was still considered considered an investable asset class, and we did fine with it. Uh, you know, nothing crazy. But you know, for me, that's the most memorable because that was my first deal, sort of I own from start to finish. That's awesome. Where was the deal? Uh, it's it was this, uh, it was a portfolio of office uh, that's managed by one of the you know uh, Boston office managers that uh, we had a very good relationship with. Cool. Uh, so now there are folks here probably listening who are trying to make their way through navigate their way through the real estate world. Uh, as a career, what do you look for when you're hiring someone? Yeah, so I, I sort of go back to um, that ownership mentality, right? Just somebody who is not a part, just somebody who's like ownership mentality, meaning who somebody who acts like a partner, right? Mm. Somebody who takes responsibilities for the work that they do and they think about our asset management business as their own business. Right. So, I mean, you know, we just uh, hired somebody um, and, you know, my initial uh, advice to him is, hey, bring your best ideas. You know, it's like think of this as your small little business. You know, this is a our small little, you know, real estate asset management business. And let's figure it out. Right. Like just make it seem like, you know, you're not just here for an employee. You're not here just, you know, getting a paycheck. Right. Like your life depends, you know, this is what this, you're working for this. Right. And this is your business. So, like, you know, own it. Like that's, I think is the yeah. best. Like yeah. if you don't make, if it doesn't, the deal doesn't work out, you're, you know, it's more than just, oh, I didn't do a great job. It's like, yeah. you're, you're, it's your money. Think yeah. Of it like exactly. your money. Exactly. Um, so which you mentioned a mentor of, uh, someone that you, one of your, your, uh, professors at USC, any other mentors that you'd like to give a shout out to that had impact on you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've been very fortunate to have a lot of people who have, um, you know, impacted me uh, in my career. Um, I would say from a real estate investor investment perspective, definitely Rich Gorski at Center Square. He really taught me sort of everything I know about real estate investing. So he's certainly been a huge help. Um, and another name, I'll give you two names because I think this is kind of relevant for this podcast. And I think one of your former guests, Travis Skelton. Oh yeah, Travis. Uh, so not Travis, but is actually better half, right? Oh. So um, we were all at Carlisle together, um, and Travis was in the LA and Denver office. So we worked together a little bit on, on a deal, deal or two. But Travis' wife, Tennille, who was also at Carlisle, but in the DC office with, um, oh. with me. And so when I first got to Carlisle, I was completely lost, and you know everything was over my head. And Tennille, on multiple occasions, stayed with me in the office to like three in the morning, right? Helping me and encouraging me to get through what you would consider to be a pretty challenging, you know, Carlisle analyst program, right? So wow, that's awesome. uh, yeah, I mean, so uh, a little bit of a, a connection with the podcast. And I thought so that I thought that would be a good name. That's a great name. Yeah. Well, thanks, Jeff. Jeff, you were great. Uh, thanks for being the introductory guest for the secondary series. Um, look forward to seeing you in a few weeks when we do our um 
webinar with everybody and uh, have a great weekend. Yeah, I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun and I look forward to having more conversations about real estate segments. Thanks, Chris.